Hello, and welcome to Makers.dev, episode number 88. Chris, we have forgotten to make this announcement for the last, I think, four episodes, but we hit 10,000 downloads! Congratulations! Right. Yeah, 10,000 on Transistor alone, and that's not even including YouTube, so yeah, that's cool. It's a milestone. That is cool. That's 10,000. That's so much. <laughs> that's, and each episode is like an hour long, and, you know, probably not everyone is listening to the whole episode, but that's, yeah. you know, 10,000 hours, or at that scale of magnitude that people have been listening to this podcast that's a lot of hours that's how many how many days is that Ten thousand divided by 24 Five is 416 days that's over a year wow it's yeah. a lot yeah it is it's cool and what a just... year that would be of just listening to this podcast <laughs> just over and over uh, uh that's that's a, a lot that's all about human life and yeah that's that's really cool uh we also have three redactions to make I'll start off with uh, I got I, I was so frazzled and excited to be in your office and how cool it was that I said last episode was 88 I think but it was actually 87 and yep. you probably tell that from the episode title but that's that's first redaction uh, what, what's your redaction on the base palindrome thing oh yeah so a while ago I think you started with your number fact that 82 is a palindrome in th- two bases yes. uh, and then I said it was a palindrome in base 82 as well which is actually not correct because that would be like one zero uh, but yes. it is a palindrome in base 83 and every other base after that because whatever character you choose for character 82 uh, is just a single character which is a palindrome so it's actually yep. a palindrome in two plus infinity bases so take I'm that curious. Wikipedia I just got that from Wikipedia as an interesting fact. I'm cur- I like I kind of want to go on Wikipedia now and push a little bit on the interestingness of that fact because you're totally right. Any number yeah. is a palindrome in a base higher than that number. So, yeah, that I guess they would need to add on the qualifier. This number is a palindrome in two that. different bases that are less than this number. Uh yeah, good good redaction. Uh I have a redaction from episode 86, I think. I tried to look up an interesting fact about... Was it 86? Hold on. Uh, no, 85. Episode 85. Uh, I tried to say an interesting fact that 85 was the... Oh, gosh. Where did it go? The smallest number that can be expressed as a sum of two squares with all the squares greater than one in two ways. And then I started trying to say, like, oh, yeah, it's 92 plus 22 plus 72 <laughs> plus 62. But you were like, those aren't squares. Christian, what are you talking about? And I realized that I had just... <laughs> carelessly copy and paste it from wikipedia and it's not 92 plus 22 it's 9 squared plus 2 squared and when i copy and pasted it it didn't do the exponent so my redaction is that that fact is still true uh 85 is the smallest number that can be expressed as a sum of two squares with all the squares greater than one in two ways and those two ways of the two sets of squares are 9 squared plus 2 squared and 7 squared plus 6 squared so okay those are the redactions out of the way. <laughs> so there you go. Bunch of math uh, for you. Just bunch of math. <laughs> if anyone's just joining in, we don't, we don't usually talk about math this much on episodes, but uh, it's important to be rigorous and uh, <laughs> truthful in what we say. All right. That's, uh, that's, that's all for that. Uh, you have some updates, I'm sure, on uh, Kaggle stuff. I think last time we talked, you decided you were probably just not going to work at all on the poisoned example and uh hopefully just no one else gets it either and you just ride out the remainder of the days uh have have you changed your mind is are you still just writing that out uh i am but i can't help but work on it so yes i work more on it um i am completely out of ideas but i'm trying things anyway and so there there are there are like every everything i try now is is 
less and less likely, I think. But um, yeah, I keep seeing, I keep seeing very interesting things. It, so even if I don't get it, um, well, one, I hope no one else does because then I'll still get the money. So that's great. Yeah. Um, but even if someone else does, like I've still learned a ton. Um, I haven't ever like dove this deeply into the weights and the gradients and the losses of a model before. Like mm. you use all those things, but a lot of it's abstracted away from you. And, um, and so I've learned how to, how to dig very deeply into models, which is pretty cool. So it's all stuff I sort of, you know, knew knew was there and I could look at it if I wanted to um, but I just didn't and this is a sort of a reason to um, it's also like a very interesting way to learn things I wish there were more of these like for all sorts of different things because it forces you to really learn the thing um, or just guess wildly which I did on some of them <laughs> so like one of one of the things was brute forcible um, and so they actually had to change the way they were calculating things on the server because too many people were just hammering the, the API call to brute force it mm. um, but as long as you actually give it a good try uh, you learn a ton. So, uh, yeah, I kind of wish, or I, I may try more. They're, they're called capture the flag contests. And this is the first one on Kaggle, but they're all over the place. Like, um, so this one's through DEF CON. And so DEF CON has some every year. And, uh, yeah, so look for capture the flag contests in whatever field you think is interesting. And you might learn a bunch. I have several thoughts off of that. The first is, uh, the, the brute forcible one. I think I vaguely remember you also brute forcing that. Is that how you solved it? Yeah, I tried to be a little smarter. Um, so I brute forced it in less time than it would take if than if I just ran through everything. So like, mm. I basically had, I had flag. So part of the problem with that one is, uh, I won't go into all the details, but there that it was very unclear whether your what your index needed to be like whether you it was base zero or base one, and if you're looking at like uh, the file versus how you imported it into Python. Um, so that was like plus or minus one for every line i thought was interesting anyway and then i had about 50 interesting lines and so i did it in something like 50 times 3 squared whereas if you brute forced everything it would be like uh, 1900 squared tries so okay. i did it in significantly less but yeah i basically brute forced it okay okay is, is the correct way to have solved that to have known if it was indexed on zero or one uh no the correct way is to just is to uh look more closely at it and then and think about it harder because <laughs> okay. like when i saw the answer i was like oh oh yeah <laughs> so uh gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, the right way would have just been to, this is yeah. an interesting question for me then it sounds like they've changed what would your method work right now with the changes that they made yes yeah yeah it, they, okay. yeah so so what the, the change they made is a tokenizer problem so so it was like you're trying to trick a tokenizer and what they were doing is they they were running the tokenizer on every web request um, what they changed it to is they just hard coded the answer, <laughs> and so if you got the right answer, they return. So they basically reduced their server by I don't know a hundred x probably. Um, oh, okay, okay. By just hard coding the answer on the on the back end. The server's functioning the same way, but they're it, not it returns using as much server. Exactly, uh, it returns the same okay. answer, but it allows people to brute force it because that's what people were doing. Uh, okay, okay, because they knew that that's what. Okay, yeah, they're just making it more efficient. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, second thing, the the higher theme of like capture the flag as a good way to learn things i love uh from our conversation about adhd a, a super long while back this hooks into so many things of like it's a it's a competition and it's fun and you can compare yourself against other people and you have an objective score and uh you, you get these little dopamine hits that you've solved the problem i love that as a method of learning i, I think that could be extended to any sort of learning like ah you gotta <laughs> capture the flag on learning what a preposition is and solve these challenges or something like that 
would be so much more engaging to me than, you know, fill out this worksheet or, or read this textbook. Um, I'm reminded also of a conversation I had with a couple that bought our old couch off of Facebook marketplace. I was talking with the, the, uh, guy while I was helping to move it, uh, found that he was a club manager, uh, for a club in Frisco, I think, which is a, a city close by here. And so I was asking him all about what it's like managing a club in Frisco. And he was like, yeah, you got to use, you know, customer psychology. And uh, it, that goes into how you're designing the menu and doing the different prices. And it sounded like he was successful and really liked what he was doing. And uh, he's consulting for other clubs. He does sort of a Gordon Ramsay like kitchen nightmares thing where he goes in and helps them uh, renovate their prices. And he was like, yeah, and I did all this without a college degree. And I was thinking like, how much more is this guy learning by just doing it then like if i if i compared him to someone who got a business degree i think he knows so much more <laughs> like he, he's actually been there and he and he's tried things and he's done experiments and uh sort of like a capture the flag like he was telling me specifically about a, a lamb dish that cost them like i was surprised it was like a dollar 60 to to make um and then they were selling it on the menu for like ten dollars and he was like we should raise that to seventeen dollars uh and it sold way better and uh made them a bunch more money but um like that that as a case study to me is so much more valuable than than studying the uh you know, the, the textbook of it um the textbook is useful to understand it and get the get the theory behind it but if you're not applying that to a real world example of some sort of a thing where you can get objective feedback in the real world i think you're missing out on a, a lot of learning so I think the the tactic that you're doing of like you're going through the traditional degree program uh, through UT Austin, and also doing the side thing of doing capture the flag and actually applying it in a, a real world application, I think is the best way to go forward. Like you have all the academics and the theory behind it, and you you're testing that it actually works. So uh, good job, you're learning AI very well. Yes, that yeah, that's the goal. Um, interesting point about uh, a couple of points about MBAs. So Paul Graham has a great quote. Someone asked him if an MBA is useful for a startup, which is kind of like what you're talking about. And uh, he basically said, no, uh, he said, MBAs were designed to train the officer core of large companies, hmm. um, which is something you can't really get on the ground experience with unless you're in a large company as an officer, right? Which is, hmm. which is rare anyway. And so that's what MBAs were designed for. So they're not designed for this on the ground learning kind of thing. Um, they're like different. They're like totally different things. Um, so yeah, it's if you if you want to be good at doing club promotion stuff, then the best way to do it is be a club promoter, not yeah. uh, get an MBA. Um, and then yeah, the next bit is uh, the UT Austin stuff, which is uh, has started up again. So that's the other thing I've been doing. Uh, I am taking case studies in machine learning this fall. Um, so that's interesting. We're going to study case studies, and then we have to apply kind of what we learn towards something, and then write a ten-page paper on it. Um, uh, which actually is pretty short once you get diagrams and stuff in there. I think I'm going to have mm. trouble keeping it to 10 pages. Um, but uh, yeah, so I have to pick a neat project to work on and write a page paper about. I'll probably do a Kaggle competition. Um, right now, one of them is on Kaggle, the, the spine one, which we kind of talked about a little bit. Um, I actually started looking through that data. And so I might compete in that one and do that um, because if I win that one, I have to write it up anyway as part of the winner's agreement. So if I get in the top eight, then I have to do that anyway. Uh, I don't know if I can, but I might try. Um, Also, uh, the other reason I'd pick that one is a lot of uh, people who are really good grandmasters aren't doing that one because the data is huge and you you have to dive pretty deeply in it. And instead, right now, there's a couple of competitions that are uh, like... Uh, easy if you already have the the pipeline set up for like text text 
stuff. So a lot of grandmasters are participating in other competitions. So I actually feel like I might have a chance if I dive very deeply into spine fracture uh, stuff. So yeah, so I might do that one. That's the sort of situation that I think you bought this fancy graphics card and PC for, right? That you have this local way to develop it. And yeah, so I'm, I would think you have a just baseline unfair advantage over anyone who doesn't have their own on-premise graphics card. Yeah, that's right. The the data is like the uncompressed data is like 300 gigs. And so that's very difficult to deal with unless you have an on-premise graphics card. So, yeah. Cool. I'm reminded also of uh you, <laughs> you reusing writing up uh the thing for both Kaggle mm-hmm. if you win and also the master's program. Reminds me of a very cheeky thing I did in high school <laughs> where there was a an English assignment to pick an author and uh pick one of his books and write an analysis of it and as part of that, you had to memorize a monologue from the book. And at the same time, I was in a uh, one-act play production of Ken Kesey's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, and so I asked the teacher, hey, could I pick Ken Kesey as my author at One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest as my uh, as my book? And I don't think she knew what the theater department was doing. So she was like, oh, yeah, sure. That, that fits the qualifications of it. And so... <laughs> the monologue i did was just like a monologue that i'd already memorized for being in the play uh so it was it was really easy <laughs> there was someone else who was also in the play who was in the class who when he found out what i was doing he was like you cheater <laughs> that's not cheating just, that's fine exactly yeah. it's it's reusing work uh yeah. it's, it's but, being effective with it yeah the professor of the machine learning class actually explicitly said like if you you know if you're submitting to a journal or something like like you can do this and then submit it to a journal and you could like to, so if with a little bit of you know pre-work you can use this for multiple things basically is what yeah. he was talking about so yeah no it's totally valid for this class and i think yeah. for that class too yeah now if you if you like turn in the exact same paper for two classes i think that's right. where you get into trouble because it's like that's self-plagiarization but right right uh, yeah but i felt like i could do much better work because i was i was interested in the book as a play and i had been steeped in it and you know run through yeah. effectively reading it you know dozens of times every time we would do a rehearsal and uh every time we did a performance so i feel like that was like one of the best papers and and uh assignments that i did for the english class because it was something i was actually interested in that i was living through that felt like a real world problem so uh yeah i think your paper for that that the writer for that you know you're going to do better in the calculus competition and you're going to do a better write-up in the assignment because it's a it's a more legitimate uh authentic thing that you're interested in that you want to do so yeah i think that's a good idea i also have a interest in this particular problem because the the idea of diagnosing medical images with ml is so interesting that could potentially replace pathologists and radiologists and uh sarah was working for a a startup that was doing something similar um and just really really interesting stuff i think that that medical diagnostic landscape is going to look drastically different in about 10 years because of techniques like this so that would be really cool if you could figure out how to do that yeah yeah it's especially i think we talked about this before but it's especially like important where there aren't enough radiologists so like there are large portions of the world where there's like one radiologist per you know like 10 million people or whatever Mm -hmm. like uh, or for an entire country for example um and so that's where it can be especially helpful um so yeah it's uh it's pretty cool neat cool um how about acorn chat stuff how how, where's acorn chat yes so 
before today, I had not done basically anything for a week or two. <laughs> okay. You were traveling, and so I had no co-working, and so I did Kaggle the whole time. Yep. <laughs> uh, so, but today I worked on it. So um, someone else asked a question about customization, so I answered that question, and someone, and then someone, the person who's actually paying me, had like a feature request, and so I got most of the way through implementing that for him today. Um, so that's great. I also, we've been talking about this person who is using it and not paying. Uh, I found out he hasn't used it for like 20 days. So I should reach out to, instead of making him pay, I need to reach out to him and be like, hey, you want to use it again? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. figure out why he dropped. Um, so that I think is what I'm going to do. Like just email him instead of figuring out how to make him pay. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's not using it. That's really good that you're running through this manually because I, I could see falling into a trap of like, building an automated system of ah after a certain number of days for the trial then you bug them and tell them to pay for it but in this person's case they stopped using it so that wouldn't work so what what's what's the interaction that you think would be most valuable to you to have with this person asking them why they're not using it did they like take it off of their website uh so so i don't know yet i just just before this i checked and they hadn't gotten a message in 20 days so i actually don't know if it's still on their website or not okay um, but this is someone who i've emailed with before and so first i'll check if it's on their website or not and mm-hmm. then i will email them it'd be like uh, just follow up and try to see if it's not on their website anymore then it's straightforward like i can ask them what would have you know you know what would be helpful for them or, or why yep. like they left basically uh if it's still on their website I guess just means they don't have much traffic. And so um, I'll need to think about that. Yeah. But valuable information either way. Um, And if they had a lot of traffic and they weren't getting messages, that would also be really interesting. Is there something you're doing that could be increasing engagement? Um, That's true. Without being spammy, like you don't want to, you don't want to have the automatic pop up. I need to disable that on my site. I do that right now. Um, Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I, I think a really valuable, like it would feel bad, but would get you a lot of information is if you went to the website and they were using something else, because mm. then it's like, Ooh, you, like I had you, you, you were yeah, trying yeah. out my thing. And there was something that pushed you off to use this other thing. What was that feature? What, what was it about that other product? Yeah. Um, and then either they tell you something that makes sense for you to do that's within your scope. Like, ah, the notifications were coming in too late. I need them to come in faster or something. Or I need it to be customized in this way and you weren't able to customize it. Or it's something totally out of scope that like, well, I don't like Slack and I need it to go in Discord instead. Um, that's probably not within scope for you right now. You, you want to limit it to people who, who are using Slack. Right. Um, yeah, that, that would be valuable no matter what happens. I'm curious to see what the reason was, uh, why they haven't gotten messages. Yeah. Uh, yep. So yeah, I'll probably email him. Well, today, right after this, I got to pick up my kid and then I got to go do family stuff. So I'll email him tomorrow during co-working. We're co-working tomorrow. Let's do it. That's right. <laughs> cool. Yep. Uh, and you had COVID before we stopped co-working too. So that's very that's true. good excuses all around, but let's, let's get <laughs> well, that going. I don't know. I had COVID and then you were gone. I could have worked while you were gone. <laughs> I've, man, I, in times when you've been gone, I'm still... <laughs> embarrassed frustrated i don't know the fact that i get so much more done just by being on zoom with you i don't know i, f- I feel so simple <laughs> yeah uh, i feel like just, my, uh, my motivations would be more complicated than that but yeah that's all machines it made of meat yeah. meat meat machines um oh there's a short story you just reminded me of of aliens <laughs> who are visiting earth and they're like 
they're made of meat. And they're like, what are you talking about? They they have electromagnetic impulses. And they're like, no, no, no. Those are machines that they make. And they're like, oh, so it's like a, you know, they have a meat component, but they're part of the machine. And they're like, no, no, no. The, the meat makes the machines. <laughs> they're separate. <laughs> the, the, the humans are made entirely of meat. And it's just this farcical conversation about how humans are made of meat. It was funny. That's uh, funny. Okay. Anyway, I'm going to have a lot of literary references in my part, and that all right, that was a that was a bonus one. Uh, here's my next one. But before I say it, I need a little backstory because it was kind of spooky how this happened. <laughs> so right. when I when I was growing up, uh, my aunt would send us VHS tapes of a show called Veggie Tales, which is a fantastic show. Uh, it's it's sort of like biblical and ethical lessons in this animated show where all the characters are fruits and vegetables, uh, Bob the tomato and Larry the cucumber being the two lead characters. And there was one episode in particular that was my favorite episode called Madame Blueberry, where it was this blueberry who lived in a house in a tree and then a stuff mart opens next door, which is like a Walmart or a Sam's Club or something. And she goes to the stuff mart and she's like, oh my gosh, I can buy all this these things and I'll finally be happy. And there's this whole song of her just buying all the stuff and uh, just ridiculous a, a surround sound amplifiers and a set of ratchet pliers and a uh, wraparound deck and all, the, all these things. Uh, and she gets back to her house in the tree and sees that like the house is so full of stuff that the tree has like bent over. And then she goes to try to rescue the tree, but then the stuff falls out and then her house gets slingshotted and then she doesn't have a house. And then she realizes with her friends, Bob the Tomato and Larry the Cucumber, that it was never about the stuff to be happy. You just be happy. And so I've known about this forever. And other, I, I was kind of confused about it because other shows in VeggieTales are like based on novels or based on things. So there's one about like Treasure Island, I think, and uh, different different stories. But Madame Blueberry, I was like, well, it's just an original story about hedonism. And... I found out while looking up the quote that I'm about to say that Madame Blueberry is actually made after a novel called Madame Bovary, which is a much seedier (laughs) novel about this woman who like cheats on her husband with a bunch of people and spends a whole bunch of money. But it's the same sort of rough plot of like hedonism uh, leads you down a a dark hole and like you shouldn't go down there. Uh, So, okay. That French novelist is Gustave Flaubert and he has a quote that was the original quote that I was trying to look up. So, all, this whole realization happened like 20 minutes ago that, that these two Madame Blueberry and Madame Bovary things are connected. Uh, because I looked up the quote, and the quote is, be regular and ordinary in your life so that you may be violent and original in your work. And I looked up that quote because that's how I feel about being back home. Like, traveling was awesome. It was so much fun. Sarah and I got married, and that was great. And got to visit a whole bunch of people. Got to visit you, see your family, hang out with your kids. <laughs> Sarah's cat got to hang out with your kids. It was so much fun. Uh, and like, oh my gosh, I got nothing original done in my work. Like my, I just got the bare minimum done of like making sure my taxes went through and onboarding one user to file inbox. I think I had like two working days the entire last month. Uh, and I would like to be moving my life in a direction of like my life is more boring and uh more uh more of a routine so that my work can be supported and original and uh, i can do all these fun creative things uh of which i feel like the last two days i've gotten to actually do and it's been so much fun oh my gosh so uh yeah i think of as a a person i've 
been drifting away from more of the digital nomad fun exciting lifestyle and more towards like let me just make sure i'm sleeping well and eating well and drinking lots of water and i have good air quality and i'm exercising uh and like that can be the same almost every day and i have based on level of friends and uh hanging out with family but i want that to become boring and standard so that i can be making really cool stuff because i feel like that's uh where i get a lot of life enjoyment and then coming up soon uh supporting a family with Sarah and having kids and like have a, have a stable, boring foundation so that, uh, you know, the, the kids can be, uh, what's the, uh, violent and violent and original. <laughs> I don't know if I want my kids to be violent, but you, you get the idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's, uh, yes, that, that was a very long convoluted thought. Uh, yes. Uh, how do you, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I definitely recognize a lot of that. Um, I mean, you still have to keep life interesting for you, but, uh, yeah, so you mentioned kids as well. And one thing I've noticed about kids since having them is routines and, um, like are, are super important. So like, and, like being st- like having a stable, like platform for them to do good things on. Um, and so not just, yeah. So, so what I'm trying to say, r- routines, like, you know, what you do week to week and month to month, but also like every day, you know, like mm-hmm. they know when their bedtime is and they know when they can wake up and stuff. And then, out of that comes all the interesting things they can do. So yeah, you need some structure and sort of boringness, like routines are pretty boring, but you need that. Like, um, otherwise you, they get tired and they get cranky and we're the same, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We get, you, you go traveling and you get tired and cranky and you can't work as well and you don't know why. And then you get back and you can sort of relax a little bit into your, into your house. So, um, yeah, I, I like that. I also, I have watched a fair amount of Veggie Tales, but I have never seen Madame Blueberry, so I'll have to look that one up. <laughs> I highly recommend it. It's my favorite episode of Veggie Tales. Um, Ve- Veggie Tales has some of the best, like, uh, kids' songs ever, too. Yeah. Have, uh, Where is my hairbrush? And they have yes. uh, the pirates who don't do anything. Yes. And uh, s- several fantastic songs. <laughs> <laughs> Very good lessons at the end of it, too. Like, well, I, I don't know what the lesson is of where is my hairbrush. I think that's just about... <laughs> I think that's just part of a... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But like the the Madame Blueberry episode is, is about uh, recognizing that you can't get life fulfillment by having more things or more status and uh, to, to be thankful. Uh, uh, one of the one of the songs in VeggieTales... It's been like years since I've seen this, but like the song is still stuck in my head. Uh, Madame Blueberry is uh, on the way to Stuff Mart sees this poor family who like doesn't have much food but it's the mom and the dad and, and their son and they're singing this the song uh i thank god for this day for the sun in the sky for my mom and my dad for my piece of apple pie uh for the love that we share because he listens to our prayers that's why we say thanks every day and on the way to the stuff mart madame blueberry is like ah that's terrible they only have one single piece of blueberry pie and i'm about to get all this these other things and then at the end of the episode when she loses her house uh she sees the same family and she's like oh like being thankful is the true way to to get this happiness that i've been searching for and that's a really deep like that's a lesson i feel like i'm still learning <laughs> uh for for a kid's show that and what a wholesome message and yeah it's it's there's like elements of stoicism baked in there and uh yeah veggie tales is a it's a it's a much better show than i think i gave it credit for um yeah on the topic of routines also i feel like the way i was raised uh I, I was craving routines, mm. especially around bedtime, and I'm still dealing with some issues of not having these ingrained habits of going to bed at a consistent time or uh, uh, having regular routines around, you know, waking up or, or eating. Um, so yeah, that's 
that's something Sarah and I would like to do. And I feel like something just from that snapshot of your family's life that Sarah and I got to see, I feel like that's something that you're doing very well from an outside perspective. It seems like you, you have those routines in place and uh, a very stable home life for your kids. Yeah, it's part of it's driven by our kids. Like some kids, like they can go to bed whenever and they do just fine. Our kids, if they miss bedtime by like even half an hour, then the next day they are just a mess the whole day. And it's just something we've consistently noticed. And so, yeah, we put them to bed at the same time every night, then they're fine. If you miss it by half an hour, then they're whiny and they, you, yeah, <laughs> so they're a mess. Uh, so yeah, it, it's, it's kid enforced <laughs> from our perspective as well. Yeah. I guess they can help you establish boundaries. <laughs> if, if you, are cognizant that they're trying to test your boundaries. They can help you discover the boundaries and create the routines. Um, yeah. 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 I think you're, you're doing that well. Cool. Okay. Uh, that's, that's the framing of what I'm about to talk about. Uh, the violent and original work that I'm doing right now is end to end testing, which <laughs> is actually a very exciting topic. <laughs> I, 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 I walked into Sarah's office in the middle of our palm break and I was like, Oh man, I'm doing all this cool stuff in end to end testing. Uh, and she was like, ah, Sounds like uh, pushing marketing forward. And I was like, all right, <laughs> calm down. So there's something I'm doing to push marketing forward, but this is the thing that's important right now. Uh, so end-to-end testing, for anyone who's not familiar, is this idea that you run through your entire application as if you were a user. So you're like going to the homepage and you click the sign up button and you type in your email address and you type in your password and uh, make sure that the, that the whole application together as a whole unit is working correctly. Most important thing for that for me is like, can a user create an account and then create a page and then a person can visit the page and upload a file and the file goes all the way to Dropbox. Uh, and the person also gets an email. And I have suffered through not having this for the eight years that I've been running File Inbox on this legacy Rails app. And I could do end testing on that, but just set that aside for now. Uh, so like I've, I've recognized how important this is because man, it, how it feels terrible to like, I push a change and I'm like, well, that looks like it worked. And then I walk away and go on a road trip or something. And then I get four emails from people who are like, hey, this core thing in your application is broken. And I don't find out about that because I'm not checking my email. So I'd find out like two days later. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, four people emailed me. They actually emailed me. Like how many people were affected by this that I right. made this change that then broke. Um, so if I had a tool where the, the thing didn't even get deployed if I broke it, that I know all the core functionality is working. And then anytime someone reports a bug, I just add that to the integration test. And now forever in perpetuity, that's another thing that gets tested. So I can make sure that nothing categorical like that is breaking. So th- this is a thing that I've wanted to do forever. And I'm finally at the place where I can sit down and actually test it. Um, and part of this was spurred by realizing that um, it wasn't working in Firefox. Uh, there was a, a key thing that I was doing that it was a Firefox incompatibility um, that one of my users found out. So like I would love now to test all of the things in Firefox and in Edge and in Safari um, to to make sure that everything works. And anytime anyone reports a bug like this, that just gets added to my integration test and then it can't deploy before I do that. So I've been doing a lot of work figuring out how do I want to do integration tests. Um, Seems like the most popular things right now for the stack that I'm working with uh, is Cypress, which is this incumbent. It's been around a lot longer. And Playwright. And Playwright is sort of a newer person in the scene. uh, uh, Person. (laughs) A newer framework (laughs) uh, made by Microsoft. And 
I posted on Twitter to see what people are using, and it, it seems like for the people who have my app, Cypress and Playwright are the top two, and uh, there's a few people on Cypress that would like to be on Playwright. Cypress has more integrations and like more documentation just because it's been around longer. Playwright is newer, and so uh, might do things differently. So I wasn't sure which one to use, and I was reminded of, here's literary reference number three, uh, John Carmack's quote, uh, focused hard work is the real key to success. Keep your eyes on the goal and just keep taking the next step towards completing it. If you aren't sure which way to do something, do it both ways and see which works better. I love that. I have two different choices. I'm not sure which one to do. I could just infinitely look at YouTube videos and see which one's better, but uh, I would learn so much more just by doing it. So first palm of today was, let me try to get Cypress working. I was able to get it working relatively quickly. Uh, and then I started writing tests for it. And I the test just felt weird. It uses this framework called Mocha. I th- there, there was a Rails framework that you said it, it looked a lot like. Cucumber is the Rails framework, yeah. Cucumber, yes. It, it, the syntax just doesn't make sense to me. It's not JavaScript. It's like its own language. You have to say, like, it dot should dot equal, and I don't like that. It just doesn't feel JavaScript-y. Um, so I went a little bit down the path of Cypress and wanted to stop there and try Playwright. And I tried Playwright, and just immediately everything worked so much better. And the syntax makes a lot more sense. It, it uses the Jest syntax, which is much closer to JavaScript and uh, async await stuff. And it also offered to automatically create a GitHub hook for me, which is the ultimate goal I want to have this within my continuous integration framework. So uh, the correct answer here was try both and see which one you like better. And so far, Playwright looks like it's going to be able to do everything I wanted to do. And uh, I, I would not have, well, it would have been really difficult to figure that out before just trying to implement both of them. So uh, I have a way to do continuous integration and uh I'm happy with the choice that I made. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, cool. Yeah, I like that. Is that John Carmack from ID er, ID Software? Like the yes. Mm, okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Uh, he's a neat guy, by the way. If you ever heard him talk, he, he's super technical, super quick. Yes. And, uh, yeah. Some um, people I listen to talk, and I'm just like, "You are so smart. <laughs> you I know. know so many things." Yeah. Um, he also joined uh, the oculus team uh now meta founded the oculus team yeah founded you're right yeah 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 yeah. and then um are one of the one of the co-founders technical co-founder i think um technical co-founder yeah yeah and then has since now he's only working on that i think a day a week and uh recently is now trying to make general artificial intelligence and yep he could probably do it (laughs) of all the the people i'm aware of he's he's one of the people who uh has a fair shot at, at creating something like this yeah really really cool guy um anyway uh yeah that's good uh do you know if playwright so you said playwright can test on like internet explorer as well do do you know how they do this in the background do they use headless things do they use like how does it actually work so i said internet explorer i misspoke um edge they do and edge uses the the chromium uh extension so so they support the uh webkit which is safari firefox which is firefox and um chromium chromium uh, which is, it's Opera, Chrome, and uh, Edge. Got it. So between those three, it's almost every browser, um, and it supports either headless or head. So like oh. when I'm when I'm making the test myself, I can see the browser and I I have the uh, debug console. But then when I'm deploying, it runs it all headless and it's just checking like run this all in the backend and and see if it works. Um, one of the really cool features of being able to run it in with with the UI is 
I think Cypress does this too, but I, I couldn't figure out how to do it. Um, you can just open one of their browsers and it records all your actions. So for me, writing a test is, I just open it up in this weird environment and I start clicking things and typing it in and it generates the code for me that then right. is the test. And this doesn't apply to me, but if I was using Python or Java or uh, C Sharp, those are the three languages it supports, uh, you can generate that test code in any of those languages or TypeScript or JavaScript. So um, I'm just keeping it in JavaScript. Uh, but yeah, this is a, a really cool tool that is kind of independent of the way that I'm writing it. Like you could you could use Playwright with a Rails app, but it's just nice to have like the code for this is in the same code as I'm making the other app uh, as, a, as my core code base is. And the, the test syntax is very is well no it is jest it just with a they added some extensions to it to make it asynchronous hmm. um the expect library so like my unit tests and these integration tests feel the same uh but you you could use this for any web application cool uh yeah i think it's great the way you're using it especially just to make sure things don't break just before you deploy uh yeah. that's what tests are good for so uh cool yeah let me know how it goes i will um <laughs> I've had so much success like doing more testing and so this feels like the ultimate level of testing of just like test everything all at once and uh yeah I'm I'm really excited. Um there's a few shaving a yak things that I'm finding myself doing with this of like uh so man it it already paid off of when I was trying to make the test of just like can I create a user and create a page. I realized that for some reason that I haven't figured out yet, new users can't create pages and I don't know why. <laughs> so oops. Uh yeah. <laughs> Which is like it hasn't caused any problems yet because I'm just onboarding people one at a time but like it, it is a problem. Um so uh I need to figure out why that's happening and then as part of this testing, I'm going to be creating a new user and a new page and a new file upload every single time I run the test suite. And right now I have no way to just nuke all of a user's data. So mm-hmm. I am going back in a backend serverless functions and making that code and writing unit tests for that. Um, so then I'll be able to come back and say, okay, after you've run all these integration tests and made sure that like the file goes to Dropbox successfully, um, delete yourself and then make sure that you were deleted. And then that should clean up everything. Cause this is running in a production database. Like I want it to, to test the actual deployment of it. Um, so that's, yeah, two two things that now I'm out of <laughs> writing integration test land and I need to clean up these two things and then uh, I'll go back to integration test. But that's kind of the job of the integration test, right? Is to help me figure out what the most important work is to be doing. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I'm so much better at software development than I was when I first wrote this. Like I know so much more and uh, I, I can saliently justify the work that I'm putting into writing these tests. Um, it felt sort of like a waste of time when I was first starting of like, ah, I just want to write the app. I don't want to test everything. And I didn't really know what level of test was important to do. So I, I feel like I'm much better at making software. Yeah. When I was first getting started, uh, like Ruby TDD meant unit tests. And I think that's because while there was no way to do real integration tests and then like Selenium came and then like, like early Chromium stuff came, but it was all like you talk about yak shaving integration tests used to be all the yak shaving like it was, it was so hard to get it running um so it sounds like like in, in uh, three palms you got two different frameworks running so it sounds like a fairly you know it's, it's matured quite a bit since i tried it last mm-hmm. um so yeah a, a lot of my experience with integration tests was fighting the tooling um so i'm yeah it's glad to hear that you only had to do a little bit of that right um, yeah. yeah that's good it was nice and there's all this 
backend infrastructure of like integrations with GitHub Actions that right. I can, you know, as a as a solo developer, man, there's <laughs> like I'm going to be able to just you know from my phone go to GitHub.com, make a code change, hit commit, and then it's going to like run through these integration tests, check to see if I broke anything. And then deploy it in this Vercel crazy thing, and deploy it in the serverless Firebase infrastructure. Like, it's just so fun. Like, it's it's amazing that that the tooling has advanced to this point. Um, specifically for Rails, I remember behavior-driven development being a thing for a while, and there was a framework I think called Cucumber mm-hmm. um, that made that easier, where you could like write up specs for how things worked. Um, do you, do you do any of that right now? Uh, I don't. Um, yeah, that was getting closer to integration um, without going all the way to the view, although I think you could test views. But yeah, that was it was supposed to test more than just unit tests were testing, um, but it was still sort of pre-good like good integration tests or continuous integration, really, for Rails. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of an in-between stage, yeah. Okay. I highly recommend it. Uh, saves Saves a lot of headaches. Uh, cool. Next thing for me, I immediately after recording this podcast have my call with Keith about Segmetrics. Cool. And this is this will be like my marketing work for the day. But um, I would love to clarify with you what my goal is so that I can make sure that I can get that from Keith. I think I think the thing that I want is to be able to see a list of landing pages that should be converting people and a list of like in between pages. So like the the uh, you know user when people click sign up and they're landing on the sign up page to enter their email address and stuff, I want to see the percentage of people that are able to successfully create an account from that page. And if that number dips too low, I want that to be flagged of like, Hey, only 10% of people are creating an account from this page. Why is this happening? Um, and I want the option to be able to like make an AB test of if I make the button bigger or if I change the image on the page, uh, does that number go up or down? Um, Although I, I guess I don't need the A/B test. Well, it would be really nice if I could if I could run A/B test from Segmetrics. But the the core thing I want is just to know what the baseline percentage is uh, of what the conversion rate is, and I also want to know the source of where they come from. So like to be able to run these tests in traction, I want to be able to see okay, I spent a hundred dollars in Facebook ads. How much money did that hundred dollars turn into? And uh, can I break that down of like uh, you know uh, that hundred dollars turned into a hundred people visiting the homepage? what percentage of them converted to clicking the button to sign up, what percentage of, of that particular segment that came from Facebook converted to becoming a user, what percentage of them made a page, what percentage of them received a file, what percentage of them uh, paid me money. Um, I, I want to see like that sales funnel, and I want it to be broken down by the traffic source so that I can be confidently running experiments, spending more money on marketing and ads uh, so that I can do the calculation of if it's worth it. Um, how does that sound? Yeah, that sounds good. Um, I would write those down before you talk to him just to make sure, you know, you go through the different things you actually want. Like, okay. you know, yeah, spend 20 minutes writing it down or whatever. Um, or five, however much we have after this. Yeah. Um, the other thing is he, since he runs this, he probably has talked to loads of people. So he probably has a really interesting perspective on how people use these and mm. what makes them successful or not. So I would do a little like reverse interviewing on him and try to figure out what you should be tracking. What, mm. you know, how have people use this? Well, you know, what are you not thinking about? Um, mm. That's what I do. He probably has a ton of information that would be helpful. Smart. Okay. I'll ask him that. Uh, he sent me a book that he wrote that I still haven't read <laughs> so like, oh. on this topic. Uh, his advice might just be, <laughs> Christian, read the book I sent you. Probably. Um, <laughs> 
talking about figuring out sales funnels um what i I think this is also work that you wanted to be doing yeah what what data would you like to be getting from your tracking um the same um but i don't have the traffic right now to really justify any like uh, okay i say that but then the voice in the back of my head is collect the data now and you can always analyze it later like even the little data you have um but yeah like what the sort like how people found me where people drop off and yeah i mean i i think i need just pretty basic conversion stuff yeah Mm. like what pages they view before they buy Mm. have they interacted with me before that kind of stuff yeah i would love to see conversion rate from people who click it in the slack app store and then on the on the topic of traffic um traction makes a really good point that like you can you can pay for traffic at any point in your funnel like you could you could buy a facebook ad right now sure spend a hundred dollars on facebook ads and get whatever traffic you can from that and then get usable data from that small amount of traffic or google adwords like figure out if uh particular landing pages make sense or particular keywords that people are googling or um you know do do you can you get traffic that converts if you pay for an ad in the top spot that's competing with uh Oh my gosh, I keep forgetting what the main competitor is. Uh, the really expensive one. Yeah. Um, you just made me forget it too. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Discord. It's not no. Slack. It's uh, it's uh, a... <laughs> you, told, you told me maybe drop, drop like... Start... <laughs> oh, that's I just, funny. They were in a tweet this morning. I don't remember. Uh, so like, you know, it, what, it probably costs whatever, $10 a click to, to get yeah. traffic hijacking uh, people Googling for them. Um, but if you can get someone who intended to find this tool that we can't remember the name of uh does oh, that feel as well does, intercom does turn into a, intercom thank you yes i knew it started with an uh, in but i was like i could just think of instagram that's, that's so silly <laughs> um sorry yeah sorry, if, if you if you snipe traffic from intercom uh does that traffic convert and you you know it that might just be 10 people that you snipe um that you have to pay you know 50 dollars for in traffic but if half of those are converting and they all pay you uh okay well that's interesting let's do the calculation real quick on on if the customer acquisition cost is less than the lifetime value um and if so like okay let's pump money into this and if not that's really useful to know that people who are looking for intercom make really good customers for you what are other ways that we could be getting those customers can we do some seo can we be making youtube videos can we be uh you know how else are people trying to find intercom um and then you can you can just run an infinite number of experiments like that uh for for a particular type of traffic does that traffic convert well yeah yeah that's that's true i can always turn on paid ads um which probably means i should but (laughs) (laughs) i think you mentioned Brittany saying like as soon as you got your first customer she was like all right you got whatever the 15 dollars for it (laughs) let's buy 15 dollars of ads (laughs) (laughs) that's right yes so it's 29 a month um which is kind of high on purpose uh like Mm. other other ones are a little lower and so she's like okay uh well first she said well that's not a lot (laughs) And I said, okay, hold on. <laughs> and then she said, uh, how are people finding out about you? And I said, well, the Slack app store. And she's like, oh, do you have any ads or anything? And I was like, no. And she said, why don't you take half of that and buy ads? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Very uh, good advice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, I think. So I, I think when we had this conversation before, the hesitation was that, like, if you bought those ads, it wouldn't, you wouldn't be getting as much data as you could from it to see, like, how those ads performed. So I think, I think, I, what? I have three. I, go ahead. Well, I was going to say I have three reservations. One is um, 
yeah, I don't have analytics set up very well right now, which is a solvable problem. The second is I already know like the three things people are really looking for because I've had people looking for those already. Those are more customizations, uh, emojis, file uploads. Mm. Those might be the the three biggest ones. Um, And so like, I feel like I'd just be wasting money, although I don't know that. So that's something to test. Um, And then the third one is I just hate running ads. (laughs) It's Mm. like a lot of work. So, uh, I really have to get into the mindset that I really want to do it before I do it because <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it, it shouldn't be as much work as it is to pay Google or Facebook or whatever yeah. money, but it is. The last time I dove into Google AdWords, I was like, really, this, this is how Google makes their money. This is I terrible. This is, it, it's built so for hard. managers of huge multinational companies that mm. need to run, you know, loads of ads. That's what it's built yeah. for. So I feel like there's a product opportunity of someone who just abstracts away the Facebook ad interface and the Google AdWords interface and just makes it stupidly simple and work for the majority of people most of the time. Yeah. I mean, there's probably people out there who I could just say, you know, I want to run ads for this website. Please do it. Here's money. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I I bet that does exist if I look for it. There's people for it, especially, uh, 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 for sure. Um, Moisa used to do that, but I don't know. I don't think she does anymore. Yeah. For Facebook ads. Um, that gets expensive though. I want like a, I want a tool that just, a tool that does it a little bit yeah yeah or i could just suck it up and learn how the tool works then that's probably what i'll end up doing um cool that's the topic of segmetrics tracking i'm feeling optimistic about this i think from what i've seen so far i think segmetrics is going to be able to get me all the data that i want it's not going to be like exactly what i want uh in the way that i would have built it if i built it myself but my gosh it'll be so much easier i think that's the the correct way to do this yeah uh cool two more personal updates for me i historically have been very scared of throwing parties Hmm. which i can recognize is not a rational thing to be afraid of but like and i like the things I'm afraid of specifically are like, what if no one shows up? And I'm like, you know, I, I can deconstruct all this rationally. Well, who yeah. cares? Like, I'll, I'll invite some people who I know will come, and at least me and that core group of people will have fun. Uh, and if I bought food or something for it, well, I can just put it in the fridge and then eat that over the next few days. Like, it doesn't matter. Uh, and, yeah, I like, all my objections to this are, are silly, but uh, it's, it's just been a thing that I've felt sort of anxious about. So uh, Sarah and I have both been talking about how we would love to have a, a richer in-person social network we both have a lot of remote friends uh you included um but it would be nice to like also have people in person that you know, if i'm throwing a party or doing a cool thing there's a group of people i can invite so i got a book on how to do it and it breaks down step by step on how to throw a cocktail party and addresses all your possible concerns and makes you a step-by-step guide of like here's what you do uh and it uses the term cocktail party um, just because that's like a term that people are, are familiar with yeah. that there's a set of assumptions about it that, that you know but like it makes the point that you don't have to have alcohol at it or, or you could like have non-alcoholic drinks and uh, but the, the main focus of the thing is just a, a place where people can uh, interact with each other and meet new people and, and develop deeper connections so that's a that's a skill I want to develop uh, and I'm pretty good at learning new things and getting good at things that I didn't used to be good at. So look for an update <laughs> a few podcasts from now on how my first cocktail party went. Cool. Uh, yeah, I think that's great. I think getting to uh, know people is good. Um, 
one one uh, trick for this, I'm sure your book will have plenty of tricks, but if you ask people to bring something, so like like more of like a pitching kind of thing, then it's less of a party, like throwing a party, but they actually come because they're like, oh no, they need me to come because I'm bringing the plates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, then they actually come. So that's why barbecues, like barbecues are great for that. It's like, can you bring potato salad? All right, great. You know. Clever. Um, I like so, that. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, have you, have you seen The Office, like uh, the show The Office? Yeah. Um, the, I'm picturing the episode where what it's the wedding i think it's a wedding and dwight Schrute buys it the book that jim wrote about how to throw a party and has all sorts of ridiculous things in it (laughs) like like ridiculous uh how to greet guests and stuff uh yeah make sure you didn't buy the jim halpert book about how to throw a party (laughs) that's funny (laughs) um oh there was something i was going to say about uh oh uh uh asking people to bring something they there was a part of the book that said uh once you've this is like, you know, after your second or third party, you can ask your guests to uh, bring a friend. And ah. they say, use the word bring instead of invite. Because if you ask them to invite a friend, then they won't the do friend it. might not come. But if you say bring, it implies like follow through. Like you need to actually get another person here. Um, yeah. So don't don't invite potato salad. Bring <laughs> potato salad. That's right. Uh, you go? Yeah. yeah. That also uh, may only be something you can do once you already know the people. Like if you're just inviting mm. people you don't know very well, then it's probably better to not make them bring anything. But, yeah, know, yeah. yeah. Already friends. That's part of this book is you, you want to make sure you have like the core group that you know is going to show up. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. like, you know, my sister and brother-in-law and uh, some, some couple's friends that Sarah and I have been hanging out with here. Um, yeah. And then you can, once you have that core group established, you can invite more of the loose connections and uh one of the one of the segments of people was like friendly friendly people you meet uh at stores so like uh, like grocery i don't know about that store workers <laughs> i also don't know about that but immediately someone came to mind of like oh this this person i've interacted with at a grocery store she's this older woman who uh has helped us find these things several times that uh and we had a conversation we have the same eye doctor uh <laughs> she just seems really nice and i'd like to get to know her better <laughs> it'd be very interesting if she interacted with like my friends in dallas so i yeah. aspire to be able to have this sort of interaction with someone like that uh and be able to invite them to a party and like have a positive interaction yeah. uh yeah but that's the kind of thing like i don't know if i aspire to it but it's it's something that i've noticed certain people are super good at like my mom could talk to anybody for like hours like in a grocery mm. store or whatever like they could just like meet someone in a in, a, in an aisle and like find out all this stuff about them it's, 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 it's not a skill that i have i would say yeah that is a skill that i feel like i'm developing and I, I, so when i was doing all the research on dating that was something that came up uh, a few times is like to to be able to meet more potential suitors you should practice the skill of just meeting more people so it had you go through the exercises of like uh you know just when you're out and about just practice like smiling at people and talking to them about cool things and uh i remember when i started doing this there was like a guy on the beach who was uh had a metal metal detector and i was like oh that's a that's a cool thing that he's doing let me practice the skill and i had like a 20 minute conversation with him about metal detecting he recommended like the best metal detectors and told me all about how it works and uh there was someone else who i ran into who was collecting something on the beach and i started chatting with her it was this like older woman who was this stooping down like picking something up and i was like what are you doing she's like oh, i'm collecting beach glass and then that turned into a new hobby for me <laughs> i have like <laughs> three pounds of this stuff that i collected over a over a summer because of that conversation so uh and it that like anything else that you know, meeting people and being able to to have cool conversations with them feels like a uh a skill that you can get better at by practicing it yeah i'm I, yeah i'm sure it's just yeah practice and you get better at it i have one more personal update uh this is a public service announcement 
I did a test recently uh, of what would happen if I didn't circulate the air in the way that I normally do in the bedroom. Um, usually I have the whole ERV set up that is this ventilator that takes in fresh air and uh, is able to like balance humidity and temperature and, and recover some of that while it's circulating. Uh, but I uninstalled that while we were gone because it's this vent to the outside and I didn't want like someone to break into the house through that opening or something. Uh, but I have a backup way of doing that, which is just I, I leave the uh, AC fan running, which is just circulating air through the whole house. Um, and so I uh, decided not to do that last night just to see what would happen and uh, compared the data between last night and two nights before where I did have it running. And oh my gosh, like the CO2 just jumped up. It was like 2,500 PPM. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anything above a thousand is uh, there's measurable cognitive impairment uh, and atmospheric is like around 450 PPM. So uh, I had reaffirmed for me that uh, it's very important to have ventilation. And I remember waking up several times in the night feeling like, I don't feel like I can breathe as well as I usually can. Uh, it's probably just because I know that the fan's <laughs> not running. It's 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 probably fine. Uh, but like, man, it got it got really high. And I don't feel like I slept as well. And I didn't feel like I could think as clearly this morning. So uh, open your windows, folks. It's very important. Interesting. Uh, I have a CO2 meter. I should measure that for our house. Um, we have the Nest, the smart thermostat, and I have it set to run the fan 15 minutes every hour i think um so at, at night only yeah it runs so but maybe i should turn that up i don't know i should test it i'd be curious what the data is anything above if it measures in ppm anything above a thousand is uh bad yeah should be lower than that chris that's all i got that's all i got too then i'll see you next week goodbye <laughs>